Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray over every man that is in this place this morning. I pray that they will endeavor to pursue excellence in every area of their lives for the rest of their lives, which would include making you first place in their lives, making your word final authority in their lives. Thank you, Father, for all the great promises you've made to us if we'll simply do these things, put this to work in our lives. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for taking us to a higher level. And we give you praise in advance for all that is about to take place in our lives, all the good that you're bringing into our lives, all the great testimonies, all the great breakthroughs, all the great financial blessings. We praise you in advance right now for it in Jesus' name. Come on, lift your praise. Give him the highest praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, give somebody a big hug and tell them you love them in the love of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. Pastor Phil. Happy birthday today. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Let's see. I won't tell you how old he is, but um, let's see. He's three months older than me. Praise God. And I'll be 73 at the end of this year, December 24th. So he just turned 73. Congratulations, sir. Amen. The best Amen. is yet to come. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Everybody get a good night's rest? Did you stay up all night? I almost got hit three times last night, and I wasn't even in that dodgeball thing. Man, you guys are serious. Especially Pastor Justin. I don't think he needed to pray this morning. I saw somebody wearing a shirt about walking in love. He needs to pray about walking in love, man. He looks like he's putting somebody's lights out. <laughs> Amen. Well, we're glad you all came, and I trust it's been a, a great time for you. This is a great place to do this, isn't it? Amen. I think we ought to come back and do it again. Amen. Amen. All right. We're talking about excellence. Everybody say excellence. excellence. So that's what I'm going for. Amen. Let me give you another definition for excellence. The quality of being outstanding. The quality of being outstanding. I read something this morning, and I wrote it down. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, No man was created to be idle. No man was created to be idle. Excellence is the quality of being outstanding. It's also the quality of being extremely good and superior. And that's what we should be aiming for. And the reason being is not just because it's beneficial to you, but it makes the God we serve look good. Yes. Amen. Makes him attractive. Amen. When people see excellence in your life. In every area. And uh, it makes the God we serve attractive. So once again, excellence is the quality of being outstanding or extremely good, superior. Surpassing the standards of expectation. 
whatever the norm is, then surpass that. Surpass the standards of expectation. It's been said a fundamental way to achieve personal excellence is to develop the ability to do one's task better each time. This requires constant upgrading of one's knowledge and skills. The key is to keep an open mind and to be willing to learn and grow. Seize every opportunity for improvement. Amen. 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 Never accept the attitude that's good enough. Amen. I got to read that again. It's such a powerful statement. A fundamental way to achieve personal excellence is to develop the ability to do one's task better each time around. This requires constant upgrading of one's knowledge and skills. The key is to keep an open mind and to be willing to learn and grow. Seize every opportunity for improvement. When I was in the automotive business doing paint and body work, uh, as I mentioned last night, my dad had the reputation in our city of being one of the best. Uh, I used to, uh, dad, I've said jokingly over a period of time, but I really mean it. Uh, dad saw to it that I never owned anything slow. <laughs> he was a hot rodder. He raced automobiles. And uh, from the time I started on bicycles, he put a bigger sprocket on it so I could pedal faster than any boy on my street. My go-kart was faster than any other go-kart. Uh, there was a man uh, on one street over had bought his son a go-kart, and, and he paid, I don't know, a couple of hundred bucks for this thing. And that kid would come down our road in this fancy go-kart, you know, with a fiberglass body on it and all. Dad took lawnmower engine off the lawnmower, <laughs> bored it out, yes, and put a bigger cam in it and, and so forth, and, and uh, built one out of uh, scrap metal. And, and invested all of 20 bucks in it. And I'd outrun that kid every time. And his dad would get so mad because he paid 200 bucks for this kid's go-kart. But dad saw to it I never owned anything slow. And uh, uh, my dad's ability, uh, and my grandfather, his dad, told me that my dad was able to overhaul a Model T Ford when he's nine years old. In fact, in World War II, uh, he lied about his age to get in the service. He was uh, just a little over 16 and uh, uh, joined the Navy, went to uh, San Diego where he met my mother and told her when he got back from the war he was going to marry her. And uh, she was only 14 at the time, I think, 15 maybe. And uh, when he went over on ship to... Uh, uh, engaged in, in the battle there in Okinawa. He was in the invasion of Okinawa. He was so brilliant with mechanical things, they made him, uh, they put him in the bottom of the ship to work on the engine. He was a, 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 an assistant to the man that, you know, kept the thing running. He was so brilliant with mechanics and, and uh, uh, his ability to work on things. Now, I never was quite that level. Uh, the paint and body work, I was good at because my dad taught me. The mechanical end of it, that was somebody else's job. You know, I could, I could overhaul a Chevrolet 283 engine, but that's where it stopped. 
In fact, I raised the hood on my car today and I shut it real quick because I don't understand a thing going on in there. You know, all this computer stuff and everything. But give me a 283 where you can climb in there with it, you know, in a 57 Chevrolet. I can work on that. But, but dad could work on anything. I don't care what it was. He could fix anything. And uh, I remember uh, desiring to have the kind of knowledge and skill that he had because my dream as a young boy was to, to take the knowledge and the skill that my dad had and, and go in business for myself and, and be a success at that business. Now, at the time, I was running from God. I knew I had to call God to preach, but I didn't want to do that. But eventually, by the time I was 21 years old, I owned my own business and uh, was doing exactly what I dreamed of. But even though my dad had taught me, and, and I was taught by one of the best, I always went to school to learn yes, more. Amen. Sometimes they'd invite us to come up to Detroit, General Motors, and go through uh, training. And even though I already knew how to repair a wrecked car, but I was never satisfied with the knowledge I already had. I wanted to know more. Amen. Not only that, but before I opened my own business, I, I deliberately worked for a different, uh, a, a different uh, make of automobile dealership. Uh, I'd stay somewhere about six months, then I'd go to another place. I'd start out at, at uh, uh, my first job as a paint and body man in a, in a shop, in a dealership. Was, a, was the uh, Lincoln dealership, Mercury Lincoln, Harder Lincoln Mercury. Then I left there and I went to uh, Hullet Buick. And then I left there and I went to Chevrolet, same shop dealership that my dad had worked for when I was a young boy. And then I went to the Pontiac dealership. And then I, I, I went to various dealerships to learn about working on these different cars because some of them were a little different than others. I was always endeavoring to increase my knowledge. Well, I didn't change when I went in the ministry. Amen. Amen. That's the reason, even though I started out with Kenneth Copeland, because he was the first man that I ever heard preach the message of faith that, that attracted me and changed my life. But then he kept talking about what he'd learned from Kenneth Hagin. So I pursued Kenneth Hagin's ministry. Got everything that Kenneth Hagin had. Back in those days, he only had about four or five books. I got all those books. Got all those reel-to-reel tapes I could find. And uh, uh, then I remembered hearing uh, Oral Roberts when I was a kid and hearing the call of God. So then I, I, I pursued the Oral Roberts ministry. Got everything I could get in the way of books and, and uh, messages that he'd recorded and listened to them. And then I was introduced to the ministry of T.L. Osborne. Got everything that Brother Osborne had available at that time. So I was always endeavoring to increase my knowledge. And you know, 50 years have come and gone, and I'm still the same way. Yes. Amen. Don't you think Good. I've learned a little bit in 50 years? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I believe I have. Yes, sir. But I haven't learned everything I want to know. Right. I'm still hungry for knowledge. Yes, Amen. I think that's the spirit of excellence. Yes, Amen. Yes, That's a part of the spirit of excellence is never getting to the place where you think you have arrived. Uh, I, I love going to various meetings. In fact, uh, I heard Brother Hagin say years ago, he said, uh, be as smart as an old cow. Eat the hay and spit out the sticks. 
I can gain something from anybody. Amen. I don't care if they're a word of faith preacher or not. Amen. They may not agree with what I've learned and the way I operate in my life. They, they, they may even teach against faith. But if I sit there long enough, I'll hear something that I can take with me. That is good. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. I remember one time Brother Copeland and I were invited to a ministerial conference up in Washington, D.C. Had about 2,000 uh, different ministers from various denominations. And I think, as it turned out, myself and Brother Copeland were the only two representing the Word of Faith. And I don't know why we were invited. Well, I do. Because they wanted to be able to say, we even had some Word of Faith guys there. Two. <laughs> and what we heard preached that opening night Dear God, I'd have rather watched Andy Griffin. I'd have got more out of watching Barney than I did those preachers, you know. It was total unbelief, just religious tradition. And people were shouting over it. Brother Copeland looked over at me and he said, Is there something wrong with us? I said, Apparently so. We're the only two not shouting. He said, I don't understand people shouting over unbelief and religious tradition. And, and But we, we decided to sit there a little longer. And finally somebody said something I could take home with me. You know, so Brother Hagin used to say, uh, you can learn something from everybody. Just eat the hay and spit out the sticks. Amen. 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 So learning or excellence is always learning. It's always in pursuit of increased knowledge. So don't ever get to the place where you think you know it all. That's the worst thing a preacher can do. I know all of you are not in full-time ministry as, as a preacher, but that's the worst thing a preacher can do is get to the place where he thinks he knows it all. I remember years ago, I was out in Southern California and I was preaching in various cities all over the Los Angeles area. And I had one night off and I was, uh, I was aware that Brother Hagin was going to be in Riverside, California that night. Every place I had preached... I asked the pastor, are you going to hear Brother Hagin this week? No, we've already heard him, is what I, I got out of every one of them. No, we've already heard him. I thought, well, I've heard him too, but I'm going. In fact, I knew at some point he's probably starting to end up on Mark 11, 23 and 24. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And I'd already heard everything the man knew. <laughs> as far as I could tell, about Mark 11, 23 and 24. But I never got tired of hearing it. I never got tired of, of hearing Brother Hagin's stories. And notice how I'm doing this. That's yeah. famous Brother Hagin. <laughs> <laughs> I can't quit doing it. I've been around Brother Hagin so long, I've got to where I do that all the time. And, and every time I went to hear him, even though I would hear some of the same stories over and over again. In fact, I heard him tell how that God raised him up, you know, when he lived in McKinney, Texas, and he was dying and did die, and God raised him up and told him, you know, teach my people faith. I told Brother Hagin one time, I've listened to that story so many times, I think I was born in McKinney, Texas. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but I never got tired of hearing it. And I gained something every time I heard it. Amen. In fact, some of my favorite messages to this day as I said last night, I have them all downloaded. And I still love hearing Brother Hagin teach on the, on the simplicity of faith. Yeah. 
Just the basic fundamentals of faith. I never get tired of hearing that. But if you ever get to the place to where you think you've learned it all, you've gained it all, there's no more, you're making a big mistake. That's right. Because the Word of God is inexhaustible. I'll never forget, and I'd never heard Kenneth Hagin's make this statement before. Uh, Brother Copeland and I were preaching in London, England. And uh, one night I was, I was preparing to preach that night and uh, got over to the meeting. And I, I turned to the 11th chapter of Mark and was going to, to talk about faith and just the basics of faith. And uh, I remember hearing something come out of me that I'd never heard come out of me before. I'd never heard Kenneth Copeland say it. I'd never heard Kenneth Hagin say it. I'd never heard Oral Roberts or T.L. Osborne say it. And, you know, where Jesus said, If you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, believe in your heart and not doubt, you'll have those things which you saith. And I heard this come out of me. If you don't talk to your mountains, they'll talk to you. Amen. Amen. That's good. I thought, wow, where'd that come from? If you don't talk to their mountains, they'll talk to you. Amen. 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 And Brother Copeland jumped and said, My God, boy, how, why didn't you tell me that a long time ago? I said, I just heard it. <laughs> I didn't know it a long time ago. <laughs> Amen. So there was something I'd never heard before. And yet I'd heard Mark 11, 23 and 24, no less than a thousand times. But the Word of God is inexhaustible. That's the reason you have to have the attitude that I don't know it all. There's still more to learn, and I'm going to stick with it and learn everything I possibly can. And it's the same way with your job. You know, whatever, whatever you do, whatever your profession is, you don't get to the place where you think, well, I don't need any more training. I don't need any more education. You just, you just keep bettering yourself. Once again, it says, a fundamental way to achieve personal excellence is to develop the ability to do one's task better each time around. This requires constant upgrading of one's knowledge and skills, and the key is to keep an open mind and to be willing to learn and grow. Seize every opportunity for improvement. That's what you're doing here this morning. Amen. Seizing this opportunity for improvement. Someone else made this observation regarding excellence, and they they referred to champions. And said, every champion continues to strive to be the best he can possibly be. He's totally committed, living by the highest standards, operating at peak potential. That's what a champion does. You know, you've heard me say before, uh, I, I love boxing. I love boxing. In fact, I can hardly wait till tonight. There's a good one coming on. Hallelujah. And uh, uh, I've had the opportunity over the years to, to meet a lot of professional boxers. I've even had the opportunities to mentor some in the Word, help some that were preparing after their career in boxing to go into full-time ministry. I've been around a lot of champions, and uh, one being Evander Holyfield. I remember a, a time when Evander went with me on a meeting. We flew to Atlanta, picked him up in our airplane, and, and we flew to Tulsa where we could be in a meeting together. And all the way there, now I'd been to Evander's, uh, I watched Evander as an amateur. I went to the Olympic tryouts and watched him compete 
to go to the Olympics. And I went to the LA Olympics to watch him box. And, and this before I ever met the man, before I ever knew him. And I told uh, Carolyn, Carolyn went with me to the Olympics and uh, she didn't go to the boxing matches, but we went to all the track and field and all that, you know. Uh, what was that year? Was that 1984? 84. And, uh, of course, we saw all the track and field events. Uh, uh, Mary Decker getting tripped by Zola Budd and all that, you know. And, and, uh, and I went to all the gymnastics events and I went to all the boxing events. And I'm sitting there watching Evander and Evander got disqualified because he, he hit after the break. I didn't think he did, but the referee said he did. And he didn't win the gold in the Olympics. But he did win a medal, but not the gold, and he should have won the gold. But uh, I remember turning to uh, a man who was with me, and his name was Dennis Tenorino, a former Mr. Universe. And Dennis was sitting there with me, and I said, Dennis, you mark my words. Evander Holyfield one day will be heavyweight champion of the world. Well, everybody was saying back then Evander was too little to be a heavyweight. So he started out in cruiserweight and, and light heavyweight, and he, he excelled in all of those divisions. And then finally he turned to the heavyweight division. And he was small for a heavyweight. But he's, he was like chiseled out of stone. I have a picture of me and him standing in front of my airplane, and i got my arm around him like this, and it feels like granite. <laughs> he just, just rippled, you know. And uh, uh, it, it was embarrassing to stand next to this guy, you know. But I remember uh, when we were going to this, this meeting in Tulsa, I had an opportunity. We're sitting in my plane. In fact, this was right after Mike Tyson had bit his ear off. Remember that? And I deliberately put... Evander on the left side of my airplane so I could look at that ear. <laughs> Mike was hungry that night. Boy, he bit a chunk out of it, you know. And uh, anyway, I had said to Evander, I said, Evander, I have followed your career ever since you were an amateur. And I told him I went to the tryouts. I went to the Olympics. I went to a lot of your matches. In fact, uh, Metal Arc Lemon and I used to go to him from time to time. And uh, uh, I said, you are one of the most amazing men I've ever met. I've, I've, I've followed your career, and, and you just don't take no as an answer. They tell you, you can't do this. You can't do that. You'll never win this division. You'll never be a champ. And you just, you just take it in stride, and you just keep working toward your goal to be heavyweight champion of the world and so forth. That's what this... Observation said, every champion continues to strive to be the best. Amen. Amen. God wants us to be champions in life, winners in life. And winners and champions strive to be the best in every area of their lives. Be the best husband you can be. Be the best father you can be. Be the best provider for your family that you can be. Amen. The world needs to see men like that. Amen. There's, there's a lot of people who didn't grow up in loving homes and didn't grow up with fathers that, that had made that kind of decision. And, uh, uh, and, and regardless of if you did or not, you can break the mold yes. and become the first to do it in your family. Yeah. Praise Amen. God. Amen. Amen. 
I thought it was very interesting. Now, my dad had mentored me as a young boy in the automotive business. Everything I knew about working on cars, I learned from my dad, you know, at that early age. But then eventually, I became my dad's mentor. I taught him everything he knew about faith Amen. and about living by faith. Amen. Amen. That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing is you now become your own father's mentor. Yes. Yes. You know, and uh, uh, so my dad didn't know anything about living by faith as such. Uh, we, we lived in a Christian home, but we didn't know the word. I'd never heard my parents talk about our covenant with God. Even though we went to the little Baptist church down at the end of our road, just a little country Baptist church, I don't even remember my pastor. He may have, but I don't remember him ever talking about we have a covenant with God. Amen. I don't remember him ever talking about we walk by faith and not by sight. He talked about salvation a lot. Once saved, always saved. You know, was the Baptist theology. And, uh, but I don't remember him ever talking about you know, God wanting us to be winners and God wanting us to, to live this life of faith and be champions and so forth. So what I learned from Kenneth Copeland and Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagin and T.L. Osborne, I was able to apply it to my life, break the mold, and then teach it to my own parents, praise God. In fact, my mom and dad worked for my ministry for 20 years before they retired. And uh, 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 it, was a, it was a joy to see them hunger for knowledge like I had hungered for knowledge from my dad when I was in the automotive business. Amen. So every champion continues to strive to be the best. They're totally committed. They live by the highest standards and they operate at peak potential. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Now with that in mind, let's go to the book of Daniel. You can't talk about excellence without bringing up Daniel. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1. page is Daniel on? <laughs> All right, thank you. Daniel chapter 1, and notice this in verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat and so on. But the phrase I want you to see is this, he purposed in his heart. Everybody say, he purposed in his heart. That's where it all begins. That's where excellence begins. You don't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden you have a spirit of excellence. It begins with a decision. It begins with you purposing in your heart. The message translation says he determined in his heart. I like the way uh, Brother Copeland used to say it, still says it, but I learned it this phrase from him, he made a quality decision. He made a quality decision that he would not defile himself. He was going to pursue excellence. And along with this quality decision, he made a concentrated effort to back it. It's one thing to make a decision. It's something else to back it. You know, I mentioned Dennis Tenorino earlier. Dennis was a former Mr. Universe. And uh, I met Dennis shortly after he got saved and 
and I became his mentor. And Dennis traveled all over the country with me, and I, I mentored him in the Word. He eventually became a full-time minister, had great success in his ministry until he went home to be with the Lord. But Dennis, uh, he would come to Fort Worth, and I would take him to various high schools all over the city of Fort Worth. And we'd do, he, he, we, he would do exhibitions. <laughs> and the, the principals would set up a, a, a time for the whole student body to come to the auditorium. And Dennis would come, you know, in a, in a training suit, jogging suit, and, uh, and I'd introduce him as a former Mr. Universe. And he'd take that sh- jacket off. 22 and a half inch biceps. That's bigger than my thighs. Yeah, come on. And boy, when he'd do all those poses, the kids would, I mean, they were wild-eyed, you know what I mean? And he'd talk about all the training he went through and at an early age decided, decided on. that one day he'd be Mr. Universe. Amen. He competed, he competed many times against Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, 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 one of his closest friends was Lou Ferrigno. And uh, he, was, he was the Hulk. And uh, what they called him also, uh, uh, oh, it was one of those competitions. Not Mr. Universe, but uh, I, I can't remember what it was anyway, but uh, something like that. Anyway, uh, he took me over to Lou's house one day. And Lou had converted his garage into a gym. And Lou is sitting on a bench doing concentration curls with 125-pound dumbbells and shaking hands with me at the same time. Never stopped, you know. And when he stood up, I looked like a midget standing next to him, you know. But Dennis would do these exhibitions at these high schools. Now, we couldn't talk about the Lord, couldn't talk about Jesus in front of the whole student body. But I'd get up at the end of his exhibition. I'd say, if you want to know more about this guy, meet us tonight. Over in such and such auditorium. I'd rent an auditorium. We'd pack it out. In fact, the coaches would demand that the entire football team come to the exhibition. And then he'd get to talk about the Lord and lead many of them to the Lord. You know? And uh, I, I remember Dennis uh, said to me one day as we were traveling, he said, and he talked just like Rocky Balboa. He was originally from New York. He'd lived in California for, you know, 25 years or more, and he never lost that New York accent. Yo, Brother Jerry. <laughs> He'd say, uh, uh, Brother Jerry, I'm concerned about you preachers. I said, what about, Dennis? He said, uh, you don't take good care of your bodies. You don't eat right. You don't exercise. We don't need you guys dying early. We need you to stay around for a long time. We need the teaching. He said, I'm going to set up a program for you that you can do on the road. I know you can't go to the gym all the time, but I'm going to set up a program you can do right in your hotel room. I said, great, Dennis. Let's do that. He said, okay, I'm going to come. And uh, next time I come, I'm going to have this program set up and uh, we're going to do it together. And I'm going to stay with you for a couple of weeks and make sure that you got the program down and then I can go back home. Well, I can hardly wait. I mean, when, when's the last time you had Mr. Universe as your personal trainer? You know? And so, man, I went out the day before he arrived at, at DFW. I went out and got all the latest Nike stuff. 
you got to look good when you work out with Mr. Universe, you know. And, uh, and so I went to DFW, and this is back in the day when you could go to the gate, meet them at the gate, you know. And I'm standing there at the gate waiting for Mr. Universe to walk off. And when he walked out of that gate, he had on his red T-shirt. And I mean, the guy's like this. And the, and the sleeves in this shirt. I mean, they were stretched to the max. I could almost hear them screaming, back off, back off, you know. <laughs> and everybody stopped in that airport. Everybody stopped and looked at Dennis. And so he sees me with a big smile and he walks over. And on the front of this shirt, it says, uh, Super Bodies by Tenorino, you know. And uh, he said, Yo, Jerry, I brought you one of my shirts. Put it on and call things that be not as though they were. <laughs> so I put my Super Body t-shirt on. I'm sitting there by Dennis. They're looking at him and laughing at me. I look like I had a miniskirt on, you know. <laughs> and all the way home, all the way home from DFW to Crowley, uh, Dennis is telling me this program, about this program. And uh, he said, and I brought some wheat germ, and I brought this, and I brought that, and, and I'm going to teach you how to eat right, and we're going to set you up on, the wor- on, a, on an exercise program. And uh, what he was telling us we were going to eat, <laughs> I said, Dennis, really, what are we going to eat? He said, this is it. I said, no, what are we going to eat? He said, this is it. It tastes like cardboard. I mean, you know. But man, I was excited. I set my alarm for 5 o'clock. He said, we're going to start out at 6 o'clock. I got up, put on my Nike stuff. And when I walked out in my den, there's Mr. Universe lacing up his tennis shoes. Had this big smile on his face, which should have given me a clue. (laughs) That this is going to hurt. And so... He said, you ready to start? And I said, yeah. He said, we're going to do a stretching exercises first. So we went through all that. And we worked out. We had a great time. I'd set up equipment in my garage. And, and uh, we had a great time that day. But that night, yeah. when I went to bed, yeah. I was hurting. Oh, I hurt. My hair hurt. Everything hurt. <laughs> and the next morning, I set my alarm at 5 o'clock. I never even heard the alarm go off. My wife said, Jerry, turn the alarm off. And I, I woke up and I was going to turn the alarm off, but my arms wouldn't work. I said, I said, Carolyn, pray, I'm paralyzed. And she took her foot and put it in my back and kicked me out of bed. I had to help her get my Nike stuff on. I mean, she had to help me get my Nike stuff on. When I walked out there, there's Dennis lacing up his tennis shoes. Big smile on his face. The first thing he said was, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. I said, I must be gaining, Dennis, because I'm in some serious pain in here. Well, he did that with me for about two weeks. And uh, he got the program all set up and everything. He said, okay, I'm going to leave this with you. You can do this. You can do this everywhere you go. I took him back to DFW. I went to the gate with him. I watched him get on the airplane. I stood there and watched the airplane back up. I stood there and watched the taxi to the runway. I watched it take off. Then I got in my car and I went to the nearest Mexican restaurant I could find. <laughs> I'd eaten there many times. And they said, hey, Brother Jerry, good to see you. I said, don't even bring me a menu. Just bring me everything on page one. You know? <laughs> we 
Well, you notice I don't look like Mr. Universe today? <laughs> when? I purposed in my heart that I was going to do what he said to do, but I didn't make a commitment to stick with it. Amen. 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 Now, the reason he has 22 and a half inch biceps is because he purposed in his heart and stuck with it. Amen. Now, I may not have done that with, with, uh, you know, and I didn't have any intentions of looking like Mr. Universe. I just wanted to be in good health. And even though I didn't pursue or back up the decision I'd made about that, that's what I did in my attitude about my serving God. Amen. That if I'm going to serve God, I'm not going to play games about it. Right. I'm not going to be religious about it. I'm going to give it everything I've got. I've made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life, do what He's called me to do, and I'm not backing down. I'm not backing off. And I've had a lot of opportunities over the years. You ever make a decision to live by faith, you will have an opportunity to back off. How many of you learned that? Well, notice Daniel purposed in his heart. But he not only purposed in his heart, not only made a quality decision, but along with that decision, he made a concentrated effort to back it. Now, you have to understand that David was just a young boy when they went into captivity. And he had made this decision as a young boy. We read in Daniel chapter 1, he's just a young boy when they went into captivity. And uh, most men would have caved in to the pressure that David and me, uh, Daniel and Meshach and, 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 and the three Hebrew children experienced. Most men would have caved in. But as a young boy, he made the decision, he purposed in his heart, that he was going to pursue excellence and he wasn't going to back down. So once again, most men would have yielded to the pressure that Daniel was faced with. But David took a stand and he refused to compromise. And he remained faithful to God, not only as a young boy, but all of his life, for the rest of his life. Go to Daniel chapter 6 for a moment. Daniel chapter 6. And look at verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. An excellent spirit was in him. So by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, now he's a very old man. He's not a young boy anymore. So Daniel is very old and he continued to remain faithful all of those years. Never stopped pursuing excellence. And eventually, someone or others noticed that a spirit of excellence was in him. Amen? But notice he started out with that decision. And he kept it all of his life. That's what we need to do, gentlemen. Is make a decision. If you haven't already, make a decision. As Brother Copeland refers to it as a quality decision. I asked him one time when I first met him, before I even moved to Fort Worth. And he said, uh, I said, Brother Copeland, you keep using this phrase, make a quality decision. What do you mean by that? He said, a decision that you'd stake your life on and not back down. That's a quality decision. And so Daniel made this quality decision that he was going to be a man 
that was faithful. A man with an excellent spirit. And so by the time we get to chapter 6, he has kept that commitment. And now others have noticed that a spirit of excellence was on his life. He's not only uh, a man of of faithfulness, a faithful man, uh, not only a man who was uh, or possessed a spirit of excellence, but he's also a man of great integrity. These all go along with excellence. A man of great integrity. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. You know, even before I I came to the Lord, even before I made Jesus Lord in my life, uh, my father was a man of integrity. And his father was a man of integrity. As a young boy, uh, I was born in Vicksburg, Mississippi on a farm. And as a young boy, my grandfather would tell me, Son, if you ever give somebody your word, you back it. If you ever give somebody your word, you back it. And I didn't know he was quoting Bible scriptures back then. He said, and you, and, and you back it even you have to swear to your own hurt. And he said, if you ever shake hands with a man after you've given him your word, you don't need a lawyer. That's your contract. That's your bond. Amen. Amen. How many of you grew up that way yes, where sir. your daddy taught yes, you, if sir. you shake hands with somebody, don't break what you said. That's Amen. your bond. That's your word. Yes, well, I'd learned those things as a young boy. I'd, I'd watch my, my grandfather enter into some kind of agreement with maybe a, a, a neighbor farmer about, you know, maybe them trading some cattle for some, for some uh, uh, hay or, or, or trading a horse for something, you know, and they'd shake hands on it. And that was, that was the contract. And they would back it. I'd watch Grandpa later say, well, oh man, I don't know if I should have made that agreement or not, but I made it. I swore to it, Amen. and I'm going to do it, no matter what it costs me. Well, I've learned those things as a young boy. And I've often said, and, I, and I, I was telling the truth, even as a sinner, I was an honest sinner. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I kept my word. When, when somebody bring their car into my shop, and I'd give them an estimate on what it's going to cost to repair and then sometimes I'd tear into that thing and find it, oh man, there's more here than what I thought. And it's going to cost me. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't estimate this high enough. But I never called the person and said, I need to change that. No, we had a contract. I signed it. They signed it. And sometimes I, I had to eat the cost, the extra cost, you know. Uh, because I had been taught to be a man of integrity. And then when I came to work with Brother Copeland... I'd never met anybody. I thought my grandfather and my father stressed integrity, but not like Kenneth Copeland did. I mean, and it, it really bothers me sometimes. I have to watch myself when people write ugly articles about him or they show things on television about him. And I know that's not true. I know the man. You don't know anything about him. I've watched him for 50 years. He's a man of integrity. Right. Amen. 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 If he tells you he's going to do something, he'll do it. And he, 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 he pushed me to pursue a higher level. And he learned it from Oral Roberts. Brother Roberts told me one time, and I, I didn't know this, but Brother Copeland was such a stickler, as I would say, about being on time. You know? And he'd say, now if you tell a man you're going to meet him at 10 o'clock, be there at five minutes till 10. 
Five minutes after ten is a lie. Five minute lie. Amen. Amen. He said, if we say we're going to start the service at 10 o'clock, we start the service at 10 o'clock whether you're here or not. That's right. Amen. And boy, he, he, was, he was demanding with that. His word was his bond. Yes. You know? And uh, I remember Brother Roberts telling me one time, he said, you know, Kenneth was a, a co-pilot on our aircraft when, he first, when we first met. He came to ORU and he needed a job and and Bob DeWeese, who was my associate minister and, and the chief pilot on my airplane, he was, he was needing a, a co-pilot. And he found out that Kenneth Copeland uh, had, had uh, uh, flown uh, charter flights before coming to ORU. And he was a pilot. And he said he hired him as a co-pilot. And he said, and I insist on being on time. If I tell them we're going to wheels up at 7 o'clock in the morning. You don't show up at 7.15. We, you, you, you just got lost or left. Yeah. We taken off. You, you left behind. And so one day, Brother Copeland was late for a flight with ORU, with Oral Roberts. Brother Roberts sat in the back of the plane. He said, Bob, where's Kenneth? He said, I don't know, sir. He said, uh, we said wheels up at certain time. He said, yes, sir. He said, shut the door. Take off. They taxied out to the runway, and here come Brother Copeland in his car, and they left him. Yeah. <laughs> left him. Wow. Amen. Now, Brother Copeland never bothered to tell me that. <laughs> and I'm not sure that he knows that I know. <laughs> so... Get him this recording, okay? <laughs> no, and that's the reason why, man. I'm telling you, if you showed up five minutes late, you, you got left behind. And I'm still that way today. Amen. Yes, I mean, isn't that right, George? Yes, we go on these church light tours and I tell everybody we're going to meet at 7.30 in the morning for prayer and we are rolling out of here at 8 o'clock. Isn't that right, Vic? And if I say we're going to meet at 7.30 for prayer, we're going to meet at 7.30 for prayer. I'd suggest you be there at 7.20. Amen. Because we probably already started. And if we're going to roll out at 8 o'clock, I suggest you be there at 7.45 because we've already got the motors running. Heading out on the highway. And some some guys that come out and the parking lot was empty. Where's all the chariots of light? Oh, they left 10 minutes ago. Well, it's... It's not 8 o'clock. No, 8 o'clock is 7.40 Savelle time. Okay. Amen. <laughs> so if you work with me very long, you learn Savelle time. Yes, sir. Amen. And that's important to me. That's important to me, being on time. I, I believe that's part of the spirit of excellence. Because you give your word to somebody, you keep it. Amen. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to Africa, went to Kenya, my, back in 1976, I think. Oh, it was so frustrating. So frustrating. You, you tell them we're going to start the meeting, I'd do pastor seminars. And all day I'd have pastor seminars. Then I'd have open air uh, rallies at night in some field somewhere. But I'd have these pastor seminars. 
I'd say we're going to start at 10 o'clock in the morning. 10 o'clock that morning, you might have 12 people in there. By about 11 o'clock, the rest of them would come. And, and they would use this excuse, Kenya time. Yeah. Yeah. Africa time. First time I went to the Navajo Reservation, Shanto, Arizona. Same thing. We're going to start at 10 o'clock in the morning. They come dragging in there at 11 o'clock. Navajo time. That, in other words, that makes it right. <laughs> and I said, gentlemen, the first thing we're going to do is break this over you. And if we're going to start at 10 o'clock, then we're going to start at 10 o'clock. You got to break the mold. You got to be somebody that they point at and says, there's a man of excellence. That's all part of it. Amen. It's part of it. And it took me a long time. In fact, most ministers conference in Kenya or any other nation in Africa. I spend more time talking about being on time than anything else. (laughs) And they finally got it. You know. Brother Jerry, they'd call me Dr. Savelli. If, if Dr. Savelli says 10 o'clock, we need to be there at quarter till. <laughs> Amen. Because he's not going to wait for us. 10 o'clock, we're saying open your Bibles. Amen. So a spirit of excellence includes not only faithfulness, but also becoming a man of integrity. A man of integrity. One commentary for the book of Daniel says this. Daniel demonstrated a life that was completely devoted to the leadership of the Spirit of God. He demonstrated a life that was completely devoted to the leadership of the Spirit of God. Another commentary states, The Spirit of God was on Daniel's life abundantly. And still another commentary says, They recognized the spirit of excellence on him because he was not only faithful and a man of integrity, but he was also prudent. And the word prudent implies sensible and marked by sound judgment. And notice the results. Go back to chapter 1. Look at verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor. Notice this integrity this faithfulness, this being prudent, it paid off big time. It may not look like it's doing much at the moment, but if you are consistent and you keep doing it and you make it lifestyle, then eventually you're going to be rewarded for it. And notice it says, now God had brought Daniel into favor. And I'm interested in anything that will bring more favor on my life. Amen. I know that favor means... Uh, grace means unmerited favor but at the same time the same man who gave us the revelation of grace uses phrases like grace be multiplied amen so that means that and and grace means unmerited favor favor is not something you can earn it's given to you by God but you can grow in it you can increase in it and I'm interested uh, as a man who walks in great favor of how I can position myself to experience even more. Yes, hallelujah. And pursuing a spirit of excellence will cause you to experience more and more favor from God. That's good. That's now, good. notice that the favor of God on Daniel's life didn't exempt him from adversity. That's 
right. That's right. Amen. Even though he was a man of excellence, a faithful man, a loyal man, a man of integrity, it didn't exempt him from adversity. He got thrown in a lion's den. <laughs> but because he was a man of integrity, because he was a man who was faithful, and he was a man who, who, who uh, pursued excellence, God didn't let him stay in the lion's den, didn't let the lions harm him. In fact, when they came out of there, uh, they were amazed. And it's, it, it says, the Lord, Psalm 31, 23 says, the Lord preserveth the faithful. And the message translation says, God takes care of all who stay close to Him. He will uphold them and He will sustain them. So even though you walk in great favor, that doesn't mean you're exempt from adversity. It does mean you're exempt from failure. (laughs) Hallelujah. You're exempt from it controlling you and destroying your life. So once again, I'm interested in whatever will cause more and more favor to show up in my life. And I learned a long time ago that one of the things that I can do that will cause the favor of God to increase in my life is to pursue excellence all the days of my life. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that's good teaching. You ought to be shouting. Amen. Praise God. All right. Praise the Lord. Are you still with me? Now, once again, God had brought Daniel into favor. So pursuing and demanding excellence is one of the ways that you can increase in the favor of God on your life. And even though he was committed to excellence and he was committed to to following God, following the leadership of the Spirit of God, it didn't exempt him from adversity, but it did position him for victory in each and every case. Daniel was faithful to his commitment And God always honors faithfulness. I I wrote this down. I heard this said by someone years ago. If I could remember who it was, I'll give them credit for it. The pursuit of excellence from a biblical point of view is always connected to God's values and priorities. I'll say it again. The pursuit of excellence from a biblical point of view is always connected to God's values and priorities. This means it must include the elimination of some things in your life. Amen. That's a good statement. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset you. So pursuing excellence means sometimes you have to let go of some things. You have to change some things. You know, I, I, I mentioned my uh, passion for boxing. And I used to go to, to most of the major championship bouts, uh, either because I was involved in the man that was fighting or I was mentoring some of them. Uh, or uh, one, one man that I mentored who had been a, previously been a... a uh, uh, bantamweight champion, and then he moved up a weight and fought for the championship and got hurt, very seriously hurt, and almost lost his life as because of it, as a result of it. And later, uh, uh, while he was still recovering in the hospital, I went to him and prayed with him, 
And later he had to retire from boxing, but he became uh, associated with Bob Arum, who was one of the major boxing promoters. Well, after he went to work with Bob Arum, he called me and he said, uh, Brother Jerry, I've got you a ringside seat reserved for this match coming up. Will you be able to come? I said, is the Pope Catholic? Yes, I'll be able to come. <laughs> and so many times I would have reserved seats, ringside seats, a lot of times set right behind Muhammad Ali. <laughs> and I would go to these bouts. Well, I loved going. The, the atmosphere is charged. I mean, if you've never been to a major heavyweight championship bout, you know, or even back in the day when I used to go see Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns, those, when they fought the first time for the unified yeah. Bantamweight, I mean, a welterweight championship yeah. of the world, it was outside in a parking lot at Caesar's Palace. The place was packed. It's like electricity in the air, you know. And it's, it's exhilarating, yeah. you know. In fact, when the fight's over, you just want to punch somebody, you know. You, just, <laughs> you, know, you get pumped, you know. And, uh, but the only thing I didn't like about it was where they had the bouts. It was either in Caesar's Palace or Las Vegas somewhere, or it was in... Uh, 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 no, not Madison Square Garden, the, the beach. Uh, Atlantic, Atlantic City. City. And it's all around casinos. And I didn't like the atmosphere that I had to go be in, but I like going to the fights. And I remember the Sugar Ray Leonard and uh, Thomas Hearns welterweight championship. I went there. And I had a, a room in Caesar's Palace. I went for the way in and everything. I want to be in and all of it. And so I went... And when you go into Caesar's Palace and you check in, you have to go through the casino to get to your room. From the front desk to the elevators to the rooms, you got to go through the casino. I wonder why they did that. <laughs> to try to pull you in there, before, spend all your money before you can get to your room, you know. Well, I'm not interested in gambling. I've never done any of that after I got saved. I've never done any of that. Uh, that's not even an attraction. It's not anything I want to do. I'm there for the fight. That's why I came. And so I, I'm walking through the casino to the elevator. And all of a sudden I heard somebody say, Brother Jerry! I thought, I am not turning around. <laughs> and I, heard, I heard it again. Brother Jerry! I said, somebody knows I'm here. I turned around and it was one of the blackjack dealers. He's waving his hand. Brother Jerry, I just got saved. I love your ministry. Pray for me to get a better job. How many cards do you want? You know? <laughs> I thought, oh man, somebody has seen me in here. And I remember that whole fight. I thought, even though I was loving the fight, I was uncomfortable about the atmosphere. Because it's not a godly atmosphere. Amen. You know, hookers in the elevators. I mean, it's not a godly atmosphere, obviously. And so, over a period of time, I finally said, Lord, I enjoy doing this. And, and you know, ringside seats to some of those fights, they were $2,500 a piece. I would be blessed with it. This has got to be God. <laughs> I was given the seats, ringside seat, you know. And uh, 
I say, Lord, even though I enjoy watching these things, I'm not comfortable with the atmosphere. Not only that, it may cause somebody to fall seeing me there. So I didn't, God didn't tell me, you can't go anymore. I chose to stop going. I purposed in my heart. Because I didn't want it to be a stumbling block for somebody else. Okay? So this is what I'm talking about. Excellence, it means being willing to lay aside certain things. The Apostle Paul says, uh, and I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. In the Amplified it says, strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight. And the sin which does so readily cling to and entangles you. In other words, anything that prevents you from giving it your best, then let go of it. Lay it aside. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.23, All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. In other words, he's saying, God didn't tell me I couldn't do this anymore, but it's just not profitable for me to do it. Why? Because it might be a stumbling block to somebody else. And that's the scripture I used when I made that decision that I wouldn't go to him anymore. And, and it's amazing how the devil set you up. Oh, after I'd made that decision, I won't go to him anymore. Some of the best fights on the planet, I was, I was given ringside seats to. And I'd have to turn it down. I'd say, no, I'm, I'm not going. The last one I went to was me and Metal Art Lemon went to see Mike Tyson fight Michael Spinks. Anybody remember that? I get, I get tickled every time I think about it. Metal Ark. You remember Metal Ark Lemon, Globetrotters? Metal Ark said, Brother Jerry, I had mentored Metal Ark. And uh, uh, he, he lived with me for my wife and I for a season while I was training him in full-time ministry. And uh, Metal Ark said, Brother Jerry, I am so thirsty. I'm going to go get us a Coke. I said, Metal Ark, you better not. This, they're coming out of the dressing room. This thing may not last very long. He said, well, everybody's in here. Nobody's at the concession stand. I'm going to go get us a Coke. I tried to warn him. But he comes back and everybody's standing up screaming. He's got two Cokes in his hand. The fight's over. It lasts 91 seconds. He said, what happened? I said, you missed it. It's all over. <laughs> but that was the last one I ever went to. And because uh, uh, I made the decision. All things are lawful unto me. God didn't tell me I couldn't go to the fights anymore. It was not necessarily a sin that I went to the fights. I'm not there to drink. I'm not there to gamble. I'm not there to carouse. I'm not there to cheat on my wife or see what I can get away with. I'm just there because I like the sport. That's all I went for. I like the sport. All things are lawful unto me. But not all things are expedient. The word expedient means profitable. Not all things are profitable. So that's, that's a spirit of excellence. Is you carrying in your thinking, is this profitable? If it's not profitable, if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't uh, cause me to continue my pursuit of excellence, then I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm laying this aside. Are you still here? Yes. You know, excellence does not come easy. 
That's right. Can you agree with that? Amen. But it sure is profitable, praise yes, God. Amen. There's great blessings on the other side. So excellence is giving it your best. The bottom line is excellence brings glory to God. Amen. It makes the God you serve attractive. Amen. It honors Him. And the book, uh, the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30 says, God speaking, Them that honor me, I will honor. Those that honor me. One of the meanings of the word honor is uh, one of the meanings of the phrase, I will honor them. I will provide material assistance. I will give them tangible substance. So if you will honor God by laying aside things that are unprofitable, that do not promote excellence, then he says, I'll make it up to you. I'll make it up to you. I'll, I'll, make, I'll, I'll, I'll provide tangible substance. So even though pursuing excellence in every area of your life might be somewhat demanding and it's challenging sometimes, it's not easy, but in the end, it pays great dividends. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. I put in my notes, I added this, always striving for excellence. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. The message says, don't hold back. And your labor is not in vain would imply it's not unproductive. It's not wasted time. Amen? Amen. So once again, God will honor it. Paul said to one of his spiritual sons, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Once again, seems like everything Paul writes about. The bottom line is, in the back of his mind, he's saying, pursue excellence. Pursue excellence. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. The Amplified says, pursue these things. Pursue these things. And then let me close it with this. Well, I'm almost closing. A couple more minutes, okay? Let me give you some of the enemies of excellence. Number one, mediocrity. Number two, settling for being average. Number three, laziness. Number four, complacency. Number five, low motivation. Number six, procrastination. Well, I'm going to start doing that tomorrow. <laughs> Seems like tomorrow never comes. That's right. Number seven, low self-esteem. Well, I've just never been that kind of disciplined person. I wasn't either. Brother Copeland wasn't either. Brother Roberts wasn't either. Brother Hagen wasn't either. Amen. It's not likely anybody was born with this kind of discipline. But you have to make a decision that you're going to break the mold. If you're the only one in your family, sometimes that might be the case. You're the only one in your family who's made this kind of decision. But you've got to remember, God considers you to be an overcomer. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You don't have to allow these things to control you as they do so many other Christians. 
But if you make a decision that you're going to pursue excellence, then the Holy Spirit will help you. He'll back you. And one day, someone else will notice besides just you. That guy has a spirit of excellence. Amen. 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 Now, here's my final statements. And this one's very important. Not that all the other wasn't important, but this is something that I always close with when I'm talking about excellence. Proverbs 17, 27. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. People with an excellent spirit don't talk much. Come on, amen. Come on, man. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Come on. Amen. Uh, I was over at Brother Copeland's this past, earlier this week, for his victory thon. Uh, there were a lot of preachers there. A lot of preachers there. I was sitting on the platform or on the stage there with Brother Copeland, Jesse, and several others. And my daughter, Jerry Ann, and my, my daughter, Kelly, which is Brother Copeland's daughter, she considers me her second dad. They'd been there all week, every session. I didn't get to go but Tuesday. They'd been there all week, from 10 to 4, then come back from 6 to 10, every day. And they leaned over to me and said, and Kelly said, Brother Jerry, she calls me Papa. Papa, I so appreciate you. He said, we know you have a lot to say. But you just sit here and wait to be called on. I said, well, yeah, I can say whatever they want me to say. Uh, I have a lot to say. But I'm not trying to get exposed. Come on now. Come on. I'm not trying to get somebody to notice me. Amen. Because of my eloquence. Amen. Bible says a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. If they call on me, I'll talk. If they don't, you won't hear a word come out of my mouth. That's part of an excellent spirit. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Part of an excellent spirit. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. Another translation says, the wise say very little, and those with an excellent spirit stay calm. Another translation says, He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has, and, and listen to this, He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a, he who has a cool spirit says little. Amen. I got a cool spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> Look at somebody say, I got a cool spirit. Say, I am cool. Amen. And then Proverbs ten nineteen. Listen to this. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. The message translation says, the more talk, the less truth. <laughs> the more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. So a spirit of excellence includes... Knowing when to talk, knowing when to shut up. It always amazed me back in those early days, uh, Brother Hagen might call a meeting for ministers. And he'd tell us, let's all meet in Tulsa at the Williams Plaza Hotel. 
I've rented a room, got some things to share with you guys. And he'd invite maybe 30 or 40 ministers. And it always amazed me that once the meeting started, it was the guys who had the least experience, been in the ministry the least amount of time doing all the talking. And sometimes Brother Hagin would just sit there, twiddle his thumbs. And at the very end, we've been in there three hours. At the very end, he'd say, uh, would you mind if I say something? I'm the one who called this meeting. And I thought, I've just seen the definition of what a fool is. Amen. 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 Fools talk when they should be listening. Here's a man with all this experience. Knew more about faith than anybody in the room, and he's not getting to talk. Amen? So he that hath understanding, and he that pursues excellence, spareth his words. So learn to take control, or like James says, learn to bridle your tongue. Amen. The more talk, the less truth. <laughs> you keep talking all the time, you're eventually going to start lying. <laughs> Amen. You're going to start saying things that, that are not necessarily true. And the Amplified says, he who restrains his lips is prudent. And here the word prudent means cautious and careful of the consequences. So uh, I always like to close with that. It's not always popular, but I like to close with it anyway. Amen. You received this morning? Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands and thank God. We're all pursuing a spirit of excellence. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. We're learning. Thank you, Father, that you are patient with us. Lord, we promise you we're going to get better. We are going to get better. You can depend upon us because we are men who have purposed in our heart that we will pursue excellence for the rest of our lives and make you proud of us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Give the Lord a good shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Please forgive me. I have to leave right now. Uh, I got to fly to Houston uh, just as soon as I get back home. And uh, it's been a joy being with you. And I'd, I'd love to do this again with you. This is, this is fun. Praise God. And not, not only that, but I'm, I'm getting to get acquainted with more of you. Uh, you do know I'm the worst attending member at Heritage of Faith, right? <laughs> but it's a joy to get more acquainted with you. Yeah, Tony's with me, so pray for him. No, pray for me. Tony's with me. <laughs> Amen. Love you guys. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll see you soon. Okay, Justin, take over, man. <laughs>